We are going to spend some time in Babylon the next uh, few weeks. And um, we asked the question this morning and answered the question, is there a God in Babylon? And as we have sung this morning, we know the one who is the God of Israel is also the God who rules and reigns in Babylon, rules and reigns throughout all, all the earth. So turn to Daniel chapter 1. I want to read, uh, pick out three verses from this chapter as we begin. And you'll notice that all three of these verses speak of God and what he was doing in Babylon. Daniel chapter 1, verse 2, Then the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Jump down to verse 9. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And then verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence and every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for who you are. You are the one who is seated on your throne. You rule all of creation. You're the one who has ordained every day for us. And in the good times and in the bad times, O oh God, you are still on that throne. And that indeed was a truth that Daniel and his friends needed to lay hold of as they were taken captive to Babylon. That even there, Lord, in the midst of all the, the challenges, the struggles, the persecutions, the threats, Lord, you were still on that throne. So teach us, Lord, as we open your word this morning, guide us into your truth. Lord, your word is everlasting truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The prophet Elijah took his stand on Mount Carmel many years ago against 450 false prophets of Baal. And the desire of his heart was that everyone would know who God is. And listen to 1 Kings 18.36. He says, At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today... Let it be known that you are God in Israel. David, when he faced the Philistine giant Goliath, that was the desire of his heart as well. Remember what he said to Goliath? This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. Why? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Now, we come to the book of Daniel and we find Daniel not in Israel, but Daniel is in Babylon. And so we need to ask the question, is there a God in Babylon? Does the true and living and ruling and reigning God rule over Babylon? The answer to that question is absolutely yes. And that's what we will see as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning. Three times God's name is mentioned. 
And every time we see his name, we see what God did for his people while they were in Babylon. I want you to notice, first of all, that God gives his people places of ministry. Now, if you're wondering how Daniel ended up in Babylon, there's really two answers to that question. First of all, he was there because of the disobedience of his people. Second Chronicles chapter 36 was read this morning. It describes how the people of Israel despised the prophets. They mocked them. They scorned them. They didn't believe what they said, that there would be a judgment coming. And they were taken captive then to Babylon. So it was because of the disobedience of his people, they got what they deserved. And they were taken captive to Babylon. But at the same time, Daniel was in Babylon for another reason. He was in Babylon by God's sovereign plan. And notice how he makes that clear right from the beginning of the book of Daniel. Verse 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And I want you to notice in the very next Words in verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. And if you read on in that chapter, you'll notice that it was a huge amount of destruction for Jerusalem. The walls were broken down. The temple was destroyed. Young men were slain, killed with the sword. But Daniel was spared. Daniel was one of those that was taken to Babylon. Daniel was still alive. Why was he there? Because God ordained that he be there. God spared his life. And now he finds himself Far away from home, not in Israel, but in Babylon. So everything was new to him. Most of it wasn't good. And Daniel was being pressured to abandon everything he learned about the Lord as a young Hebrew boy. There was pressure to change his way of thinking. We notice in verse 3 that the king ordered his chief official, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family, some of the nobles. And he ordered them to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Now think of it. You're a young teenage boy. You're Daniel. And you're taken captive to this land. And you're being taught the literature of the Babylonians. You're being taught the, their view of the world, their view of man, their view of God, which was obviously in direct opposition to everything he had been told while in Israel. This was not education. This was indoctrination. They were being given that literature, that language that was in opposition to everything that they had learned. And if you think that wasn't a big deal... Take a look at what happens to some young people when they leave home and off to college and they are taught things that are not consistent with what they've been taught at home and in church. And what happens to many of them? They walk away. So there was that pressure upon 
Daniel to change his way of thinking and to change his way of of living. Verse 5, the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. So the food that Daniel was given was was a problem for him. It was ceremonially unclean. It had been sacrificed most likely to idols. And so you got to eat. So what are you going to do? Here's the ration. Here's what the king is giving you. What are you going to do when you are to eat things that violate your biblical convictions? So the commander was trying to squeeze Daniel into the mold of a Babylonian. And he even gave gave them, Daniel and his three friends, Babylonian names, which were based on the worship of Babylonian gods. So you're no longer Daniel, you're Belshazzar now. You're no longer Shadrach or Meshach or Abednego. You are given different names that focus on the gods of the Babylonians so that you can see how these young people were being squeezed into the mold of Babylonian life. As I was thinking about this, it occurred to me that it really it, it isn't a whole lot different for us today, is it? We live in a culture that is pressuring us to conform to the way it thinks, the way it lives, and the way it worships. And almost everything that I was taught as a child is being challenged today. Isn't it? Think of what has happened in our culture in just the last, say, 20 years. How we are being squeezed into the mold of there is no God, there is no truth to His Word, there are no standards by which we ought to live. We are living in a Babylon-like culture today. Just like Daniel. But this is our time. And this is our place of ministry. This is where God has put us for such a time as this. What are we going to do? Are we going to cave in to what the world says? Are we going to be squeezed into the mold of worldly thinking? Or are we going to stand up like Daniel did and say, you know what? I've determined in my heart that I'm going to follow the Lord. Regardless of the cost. I think of Joseph. Remember when Joseph was, was sold into slavery? Brought into Egyptian culture and learning all the language of the Egyptians and so forth? When he had his two sons. Remember what their names were? Manasseh and Ephraim. Those are not Egyptian names. Those are Hebrew names. Now maybe you're thinking, well, big deal. Yes, big deal. What was he saying to the Egyptian culture, to the Egyptian way of living? (laughs) I'm a, a, a Hebrew. I'm the lover of the true God. And even the names of my children are going to reflect that even though I'm in Egypt, I serve the true God, the living God. So God gives his people places of ministry. Sometimes it might be in Israel, sometimes it might be in Egypt, sometimes it might be in Babylon. But wherever it is, we are called to take a stand like like Daniel. The second thing we notice is that God gives his people positions 
of influence. If you think about the place of service that Daniel was given, it's hard to imagine how a teenage boy, think of it, in those circumstances would have much of an impact on the world around him. Look back in your life when you were a teenager. If you had been taken captive to a place like Babylon, how firm would you have been in your convictions? I look back on my life and I think, whoa, what would I have done if I was in Daniel's shoes? Would I, in a place like that, far away from home, would I have made much of an impact? I don't know. Only God knows. But Daniel did. He had an impact on those in authority over him when he was faced with the pressure of eating the the king's choice food. Notice what what he said, verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Verse 12, he said, please test your servants for 10 days and and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. And you know the result. After 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked a whole lot better than the ones that were eating the king's food. Now, what's interesting here is that Daniel showed wisdom here, didn't he? Because he came to the one in authority over him, he asked permission. He came humbly. He could have said, I am not going to eat your food, and I don't care what you do. Is that the right way to approach someone in authority? Come with just a, a combative, prideful spirit? No. Respectfully. The attitude with which he approached his overseer evidently made a difference. He also gave the commander another option. He said, let's just try this for 10 days. Let's see how this works. The rest of the men, they can eat the king's choice food. We'll just eat vegetables and water, whatever they ate, and we'll just compare it at the end, and you see. All right. He said, let's try it. And sure enough, made a difference. But it took more than human wisdom here because... Uh, Daniel needed the help of God here. And we see that then in verse 9. Our text makes it very clear that God was using Daniel in his place of ministry. Verse 9. God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. So God was there in Babylon. He honored Daniel's commitment to the principles of of his word. So here he was, this teenage boy having an impact on those who were in positions of authority over him. So think of that. You have people with authority over you, don't you? We all do. How are we going to impact them for the Lord? How are we going to take a stand on truth and yet make an impact? Part of it is humility, isn't it? Part of it is the attitude of our heart in which we take a stand for the Lord. And so God was there in in Babylon. But think of the impact that Daniel had on those three friends of his. Shadrach, Meshach, 
and Abednego. If you look at verse 8, it's clear that it was Daniel who had made up his mind not to defile himself. It was Daniel who sought permission not to eat the king's choice food. But this had an impact on his friends because they went along with him. They courageously followed along with Daniel's example. And even more amazing, when you go to chapter 3 and you see how they refused to worship the golden image, even though it meant that they'd be thrown into the fiery furnace, they took a stand with Daniel. Stand with him. You know what I've learned about standing up for your convictions? Even if it appears that you just might be the only one, quite often there are others who are willing to follow if someone takes the lead. I found that out in college. There were times when I was sitting in a classroom and my professor was, was uh, you know, making jokes about Christians or the Bible or whatever. Those are times when you don't feel like raising your hand. You know, Satan's sitting on your lap and say, just let it go. Just, you know, just forget it. I found out when, when I raised my hand and, and shared something, there were several others in the classroom that then shared something. Or after class said, thank you for sharing that. I love Jesus too. And we had then kind of a group of people in these classes where we stood together. But it often took one person first to take a stand. And there's others who agree, who are willing to follow So what position of influence has God given you, huh? Where are you working? Where are you living? What is your circumstance where you can have an impact on those around you by standing for the truth of God's Word? So God gives His people places of ministry. God gives His people positions of of influence. And then thirdly, notice how God gives His people powerful wisdom. Powerful wisdom. If you look at the last verses of chapter 1, you will notice that the wisdom that Daniel and his three friends had was no ordinary wisdom. It was God-given wisdom, and it was greater than any of the wisdom of Babylon. Look at how Daniel describes it, verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. And then at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. And so the king talked with them, verse 19. And out of them all, not one. Now, how many men were there? Who knows? Not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah. Those are their Babylonian names written there. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. Now, why did God give them such wisdom? I think the answer is, is obvious. He gave them wisdom because he had some very significant plans for them. He was going to place them in positions of leadership 
within the Babylonian kingdom and would enable them to have an impact on the entire kingdom. (laughs) Through Daniel and his friends, the people of Babylon would see something. They would see that there is a God in, in Babylon. That God is the true and the living God because God was there with them in the midst of all that they faced in Babylon. And just look at the examples. Chapter 2. The king has this dream. Doesn't know what it is, what it means. Daniel interprets that dream. And notice the result. Verse 46, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and Lord of kings. (laughs) That's who your God is. Is there a God in Babylon? Absolutely. And Nebuchadnezzar had to admit it. He said, Your God, He's the most high God. He's the God of gods. He's the... King of kings, and you've shown it to me by telling me the dream. Chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to worship the golden image. God spared them from death in that fiery furnace. Remember what the king said? Did we not send three men into that fire? Yeah, king, that's right. There's not three there. There are four. And the form of the fourth one is like the Son of God. King Nebuchadnezzar said that in Daniel 3.29, there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. (laughs) Isn't that great? Chapter 4, Daniel warned King Nebuchadnezzar of the danger of his pride. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen, so God humbled him. And here's what King Nebuchadnezzar said in verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are true and his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Who is this God? He's the King of heaven. Chapter 6, Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. Remember that story. The king said, verse 6, I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So think of how these four Probably teenagers brought to Babylon, brought to that worldly culture. But God put them in those positions of of leadership, gave them great wisdom and courage and understanding. And the king of Babylon could not help but repeatedly say, your God is the God of heaven. Your God is the God of gods. Your God is the King of kings because no God, no God can do what your God does. We live in a Babylon-like place. And we need to say, Lord, okay, here we are. This time and this place. Raising our children and grandchildren in a 
a challenging place, right? I mean, look back on your life, those of you who are my age and older. The challenges we faced as children, the culture we lived in then, would you say it's a bit different today? It's a lot different. And yet, here we are. And if God is sovereign, which we believe He is, then He's put us here at this time, in this place, for such a time as this. Do we need wisdom? You bet we do. We need wisdom if we're going to make a difference in our culture. And the good news is that God's wisdom wasn't reserved just for Daniel and his three friends. What does James tell us? James chapter 1, verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, what? Throw up your hands in despair. It'll never happen, right? No. Let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Do you recognize your need for wisdom? I hope you do. I hope you're asking God daily to generously give you His wisdom. We need God's wisdom in this world. God promises to give it. And when He gives it, and we live in light of His Word, the world will know that there is a God where we live too. Is there a God in Maple Grove? Who is He? He's the living God, right? And may He make Himself known in the culture in which we live in today through we who love Him, seeking Him, asking for His wisdom. May people, as they see our lives, say, Jesus is alive. He is working today. He is transforming people's lives. He is the God of gods. He is the Lord of heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you do your work in us today? You are a sovereign God who has placed us here for such a time as this. You've given us a position of influence in one way or another. Lord, give us your wisdom, your understanding, your knowledge, your power, that we might be among those who do make a difference in the culture in which we live. It's easy to get discouraged and just want to throw up our hands in despair and say, what's the use? God, use us, we pray, for the honor and the glory and the praise of your name. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.